This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Everybody, this is better than before. We have one clear objective to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you better than before in business and life. Our show is more fun than a good old-fashioned hootenanny, and we're so glad that you joined us today. I'm Tony Richards. I'm an executive coach that works with CEOs, executives, and business leaders, and our executive producer is here with me, uh, William Foster, who's at the controls. Hello. And we'd love for you to visit our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. You can learn more about us and also how to take advantage of all the resources we have for you, blog posts, videos, our podcast archive with all of our past shows of Better Than Before. And there's a Leadership Influence audio series there that has been downloaded hundreds of times for people all over the world. And it's absolutely free as a gift from me to you. So you want to go by and take advantage of that wonderful series. Yes. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about if you have a fear of failure, I've got uh, some questions that I've used as dialogue with coaching clients before that I'd like to share with you today. You can do some self-medication with those questions and we'll have that coming up. Also, productivity secrets of billionaire executives. So I've been studying billionaires and CEOs for the past 30 some odd years. And there are some things that are very common among all of them as far as getting stuff done. And I want to share those with you on today's program. And also our special guest on hold right now on the line waiting to come on board with us is the distinguished mayor of Jefferson City, Missouri, Carrie Turgeon. And she's going to be on today. We're going to talk about the recent tornado that hit Jefferson City. We're going to talk about the crazy flood water that they've had to endure lately. And somewhere in the conversation, I'm going to get her to reveal to you, our audience, what her favorite music jam is. So that's coming up in just a couple of minutes. Bill, how have you felt about failing in the past? Uh, It's always been a hang-up I would I would describe it of yours yeah absolutely you have a fear of failing yeah I'm a little bit of a perfectionist mm-hmm. well a lot of the clients that I've coached over the years believe it or not it, even the highest level um, I remember I was doing a group of about 35 executives all from one company and the CEO was in the class and his whole executive team was in the class and I did an exercise around fear 
And he told me later that he was flabbergasted that most of his executive team had a fear of failing and that he had never recognized that before, uh, which opened up a whole dialogue about how to deal with that appropriately and how to make those people feel more secure and confident. Because fear of failing is a very debilitating, very crippling fear to have that is a constraint on your future success. Think of all the potential that you won't get to convert into results because of that fear of failing holding you back. So here's some questions that I've used with clients that have become pretty effective. And so here's the framework around this is for the next week or so, if you're someone who has a fear of failing, Here's the prescription I want to give you. So for the next week, twice a day, I want you to stop one time at midday and one time at the end of the day. Okay, so once at lunch, around lunchtime, and one time at the end of the day can be before you start your evening or before bedtime. Uh, This works great with journaling, too, if you want to incorporate that practice with it. But you want to ask yourself these questions. Number one, what did I not attempt to do today because I was afraid that I would fail? Number two, how did I rationalize not trying? So what was the dialogue that went on in your head to give you the pass and tell you that, oh, well, it's fine. Don't worry about it, right? Because we all have that. When we bump up against that any kind of fear, We'll tell ourselves a story and let ourselves off the hook. So it's important to identify what is it that you're telling yourself that sort of frees you from having any responsibility at all of doing the thing that you're afraid of doing, right? Because that story is designed to keep you prisoner. So in order to do something with it or do something about it, First of all, you got to identify it and strip it of its power. What Here's number three. What was the worst outcome that could have come if I would have tried? In other words, if I would have tried and I'd have failed, what's the worst thing would have happened? A lot of times, it's not that bad. Number four. What was it that I did not move forward on today because I didn't try? So in other words, how did I rob myself? How did I steal from my own happiness? And how did I act as a thief of my own success? Because I didn't try the thing I knew I should have tried because this fear was holding me back. And then I told myself a story that justified me staying paralyzed. And then finally, what did I learn about myself and my leadership from this experience? I would answer that one question about what's holding me back or the conversation. Uh I'll take care of it tomorrow. Uh, Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah. In the movie Gone with the Wind. Mm. I'll think about that tomorrow. Yeah, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Right. And so I'm trying to put a thought in your mind that will fire you up a little bit because we have a tendency to think that outer forces and outside people are in our way or they the quintessential they are holding me back. But in a lot of cases, I'm really holding me back because I let myself off the hook or I gave myself permission to not try. Here's what's double-edged sword about it. I think I'm putting myself in a safe zone 
but I'm really putting myself in a danger zone because if I don't grow and I don't do the things that make me successful, I'm eventually going to be upset about that or I'm eventually going to be um, depressed about that. And that's a lot worse than whatever minor embarrassment that I was afraid of or failing or criticism by somebody else maybe. None of that is going to be as effective or as debilitating to you as your own thoughts and feelings. A lot of times somebody will say, shoulda, coulda, woulda, or I messed around and lost my opportunity. Somebody else did that idea. I had that idea three years ago, and I didn't do it. Well, why didn't you do it? Oh, well, I just, you know, here come the answers. Yeah, you kicked the can down the road. Yeah, and somebody else didn't, right? Mm -hmm. And execution beats knowledge every single time. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter what a great idea you have. It doesn't matter what great thoughts that you have. If you don't put them into motion and do something about them and take some action, what good are they? And every and I truly believe this, and we're going to get to Carrie who's standing by on the phone, but I truly believe that every great idea and great thought is going to get done by somebody. That great thought, that great idea, that great concept, it's, it's fighting for its existence, and it will get manifested by somebody. If you don't want to do it, it will go to somebody else, and somebody else will do it. It won't just sit there, and humanity will not lose out on some of the greatest things of all time just because you were afraid. Somebody else is going to say, heck with it, I'm going to do this, right? Right. Why not you? to quote the Missouri lottery, right? Somebody's going to (laughs) win. Why not you? I saw Dan Rather interview Ice Cube the other day. Right. And he was talking about how he made the journey from music rapper into television and into being in movies and then making movies. So here's a guy who's done a lot of stuff, and he's been very creative, and he's brought a lot of ideas to fruition. And they're just talking about the Iran-Contra affair back in the late 80s. And how there's a common belief that the CIA were shipping weapons south, but they were importing drugs north. And they were putting drugs into neighborhoods in the United States, and that's how the crack epidemic kind of happened. And Ice Cube said, somebody ought to do that movie. And Dan Rather said, why not you? (laughs) And he realized what he did right there and he goes yeah i would like to do that i I think i'm gonna do that oh that's cool yeah so even the most successful creative people hesitate at times to act on thoughts and ideas that they have really when it comes down to it if if you don't do it somebody else will right so why not you carrie turgeon mayor of jefferson city is coming up next she's going to be talking about the recent tornado and the floodwaters there, you don't want to miss it. She's been on national TV lately talking about the um, the terrible, terrible uh, wreckage that has happened uh, in Jeff City. And we're going to talk to her about that. And the future is bright for our state capital. And so she's coming up next. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. 
from here, been here, always will be here. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and special guest on the show today, Carrie Turgeon, who is the owner of Carrie's Hallmark Shop in Jefferson City. She's also an artist and a photographer. She was elected as the mayor of Jefferson City and is a graduate of Missouri State University with a degree in business management. She served on the Jefferson City Council and boards of numerous civic and charitable organizations, and you may have seen her on nationally recognized news programs recently due to the tornado that uh, struck Jefferson City. So, Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. You're wonderful. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Well, we're glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You probably don't remember. I think the last time I saw you in person, I was doing a presentation to um, some uh, Jefferson City Young Professionals organization. And uh, you stopped in and we snapped a picture together for Facebook, but that's been some, quite some time ago. So I do uh, that as a matter of fact, and I believe that's when I started following you on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's right. So welcome to our program. And I've got a lot of things I want to talk to you about. As we get started, though, tell me a little bit about your background and your upbringing. Well, sure. I'm a third generation small business owner here in Jefferson City and I really learned a lot from my parents and grandparents. My grandfather came to this country as a young boy from Greece, and he he was an orphan, so he came over with an uncle and came through Ellis Island, and when he ended up here in the Midwest and coming through uh, Jefferson City, he saw the state capitol building, and he just was so impressed, and he lived and worked within a block of the state capitol his entire life, and so coming from that background, I learned uh, from my grandfather what a great country this is, and he always felt very blessed to be here and would say, if you work hard, you can accomplish anything you put your mind to here in this country. He really loved this country. Well, it was almost like it sounds like third generation, you didn't decide to become a business owner, entrepreneur. It kind of chose you, right? Absolutely. I was born into being an entrepreneur, and uh, my parents own Carrie's Hallmark Shop on East High Street, about a block from the state capitol, and they named it after me in 1976 when I was just four years old. So uh, that was something that I think my destiny was chosen for me. I, I did go away to school, went to Missouri State University, and I'm thankful that I did that, but I always knew that I had a store with my name on it on High Street, so I think I knew what I would do. Uh, and before that, my my grandparents uh, had a dry cleaning business, and before that, my grandfather shined shoes 
um, on Madison Street as a young boy. So I've, we've always, I think I was just born into uh, being a, a business owner. So that tells me a lot about your background as far as becoming a business owner, but who was the influence in your life that led to your being an artist and a photographer? That is something that I'll be honest, I believe I inherited from my dad. I, I've learned that he's he was a, an impressive artist and he loves photography. So I think that was inherited. And I just, as early as I can remember, I've always loved painting. In fact, I remember being in kindergarten and my favorite class was art. And I've always taken that with me. And my passion is art. I love painting our beautiful state capitol. I, I do that on numerous occasions and usually uh, donate those to local charities. And so that's just my passion is art and painting and photography. And here in Jefferson City, we really have some beautiful uh, buildings and historic, of course, you know, with the Capitol and Governor's Mansion. I mean, we have an amazing setting for any artist to take pictures and and I'm just really fortunate. It's my hobby and I love it. And of course, Jefferson City has been affected being a river town with so much of the flood water that we've experienced. Have you taken many pictures of it? I have. In fact, I absolutely have. And and even the day, the morning after the tornado went up uh, with Governor Parson and had an aerial view from a helicopter and I was taking pictures and that was something that you never think, you know, the views that you never think you'll see. And, and a lot of the uh, the destruction from the floodwaters and, and the tornado, you know, taking pictures of it and, and in your mind trying to register what, what you don't really normally see. It's hard to explain when you see kind of nature's damage and, and being able to process that in your mind. It almost is very unrealistic and it's hard for our minds to process what we're seeing. Uh, but I've done a lot of photographs and documenting that, knowing that this is a point in our history where we're going to look at these and we're going to say, here's where we were and here's where we're going to be. So yeah, it's been a, it's a part of our history now. And, and this is what, how we react to it is what will define where we go in the future. Just listening to how you express yourself and talking about your uh, third generation and uh, about the, the card shop being in Jefferson City for such a long time and how you enjoy painting the Capitol. It's obvious you have a deep and abiding passion and love for Jefferson City, but then there's the political world. What, what drew you into that? You know, that's interesting. I never thought I would be involved in politics. In fact, to be honest, being a business owner, we typically don't take sides. We usually, you know, we work with customers and you you just help the customers and you don't want to, you know, offend customers one way or another, getting involved in, in taking sides on issues. That's just not what we do typically as a business owner. So uh, that was something that, uh, at the same time, though, being a business owner put me in a lot of leadership positions with local associations, the downtown association, and taking leadership in charge. And I found myself in front of City Hall so many times speaking before the council about needs in the business community. So uh, I, I believe that I I sort of took that leadership on. It just evolved out of being a business owner. And interestingly, again, from my grandfather, he was somebody that was very active. In fact, he would write letters to the president, like president of the United States. And I still have in my mind, I remember the the letters he would write, he would get replies back and have pictures, you know, hanging on his wall of, of letters he would write because he always felt like he would, he wanted to give his opinion and wanted to be, 
you know, he loved this country so much. So I, again, I think part of it was inherited and part of it was just the natural leadership role, being a business owner in the community that, that came with it. And so decided to run for city council, served for six years, and now was reelected for my second term as mayor. Well, you've obviously had a lot of influence uh, from your family, but what about other mentors you've had? Uh, tell me about some of them and, and some of the lessons that you've learned from them. Well, and number one is is family. I've been fortunate and blessed to have such a wonderful family. I also have, uh, you know, mom and dad and my brother and sister. I'm the oldest, so there's three of us kids, and we we're pretty uh, tight and stick together. And they're all here in Missouri, and. So that's been a big influence. But outside of family, uh, serving on the board at Missouri State University, I'd say one of my biggest role models is the president of Missouri State, Cliff Smart. And I learn something from President Smart every time I'm at a board meeting for Missouri State, anytime I interact with him, uh, watching how he uh, is able to bring groups together and build the university and grow. And uh, definitely he's been a mentor and friend, but also watching him in action and, and, you know, running a university has a lot of parallels to running a city and a community as well. And, and so that has been very rewarding to work alongside a leader like him that I admire so much. Uh, I do the retreat every year for the leadership Jefferson city class for the Jefferson city chamber. And there are just so many young, wonderful leaders that come through that class every year. I think the future of Jefferson City is pretty safe looking at uh, some of those wonderful young leaders that come through. You're obviously a role model and an inspiration to a lot of young females who would be following you on Facebook or Twitter or listening to our show here today. What, what would you say to those young females about some dreams and aspirations they might have? You know, I would say to never lose sight of those dreams and continue to work towards them. Uh, being a mayor and being a young, younger woman, there's a lot of times when I say I'm the mayor and I get the reaction, you're the mayor? Like there's such <laughs> surprise from people who don't know me. And I really love that because it challenges us to think, you know, I might not be what you think of when you think of a mayor and that's okay. And all of us, no matter what our background is, we need to not ever be discouraged when others think, well, that's odd. I would have never put you in that position in, in their mind that we should not uh, worry about what others think of us, that we should move forward with what we want to do. And we can, you know, if we work hard and prove ourselves and have respect for others, no matter what their background, then we will be successful. So reminding people not to be discouraged when others say, well, this is, you know, we don't expect you to be in that role. And then also we should not do that upon others. We should make sure that when we see others, we should not judge who we think they can be and what we think they can do. We need to respect others and encourage others. And, you know, especially as women, encouraging others is so very important. And it's it's proven and it's been studied that oftentimes women's women need to be uh, asked in order to, to run for political office or take leadership roles. Sometimes we don't see ourselves in that role, but when others ask us to do that, that we, we do take those leadership positions on. So don't underestimate how important it is when you identify other leaders to say, hey, have you thought about running for office or have you thought about this or that? Um, I was asked to run for city council. I said no the first few times and then decided and was encouraged and found a good team of support. But sometimes we need to be asked. Had I not been asked, I may not have run. I may not, not have even thought to do that. So it's it's very important. And the other advice is to remember that 
we reflect what we want to get back. I mean, if we are positive and if we are, you know, um, if we, what we put out is exactly what we're going to get back. We're very much like a mirror. So be very uh, clear in your message and your goals and what you put out to the world. Because if you put that positive message out, that's what you'll get back. And I think as business owners or uh, as women in our community or even in our households, it's important to remember that people do look to us and they, you know, what you give out is what you get back. Right. Yeah. We call that the give get principle. You know, what you give is going to be coming back to you. So you need to be careful with that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. As essentially the CEO for Jefferson City, uh, what's your vision for Jeff City? What, how do you see the city moving into the future? You know, if you had asked me that three weeks ago, literally three weeks to the day, my answer may have changed and been different. Um, I'm going to answer this three weeks ago first, and then I'll answer it after the tornado. But three weeks ago, my answer was looking at Jefferson City was um, moving forward with what our assets are as a community. I mean, we are a strong community. We have things that no other community has, and we don't need to reinvent who we are. But often we're so used to who we are that we think we need to change or we need to invent who we are. Well, we are the capital city. So, you know, what makes us very unique and building upon our assets is what's important. So we're the only city in the country that has a state capital, a river, and a historic penitentiary. And we have all three of those at the same time, and no other city has those assets. So this historic penitentiary that I talked about has over 33,000 people a year that attend the, the penitentiary tours, major tourist attraction. Uh, the capital is something that's a big attraction, Capitol Avenue, and then accessing our river. And we're working on a, a $4 million bicentennial bridge project to get us to our riverfront that we've been separated from by the railroad tracks, really, for our entire city's existence. So those are things that we've been working towards. We've had significant amount of success in uh, building upon all of that and kind of defining uh, what we have as a city and, and drawing people here. And so then three weeks ago, you know, or May 22nd, 2019 happens and a tornado rips through the heart of a lot of what I just talked about. And Capitol Avenue, those historic homes were significantly damaged among many other important uh, neighborhoods. Everybody's home is important that was touched and affected and businesses. And this historic penitentiary I talked about took a direct hit. And this river I talked about the river is flooding. So all the things that, that we are working towards suddenly took this direct hit from a, a tornado and from a major flood, both at the same time, no less. And so now how I answer that question of what do we see moving forward in the future is that this is a turning point in our community and a defining point to say, you know, how are we going to work through it? What is our city going to look like now for the next hundred years and how are we going to move forward stronger? And those are huge challenges, but I have confidence that that we will. But this really is a defining moment in how we react to this challenge. And I mean, pretty major challenges that we've just been faced with. Um, thankfully, everybody got out uh, and, and we're all here to talk about it. And when you see the, the major destruction to a lot of these homes, you wonder how people got out. Um, but I think the major distinction and how I would answer that question differently, we still need to work towards those things that are have us, you know, the very unique things that we have as a community. But the difference is that things are just things. Houses can be rebuilt. Buildings can be rebuilt. Cars are just cars. The people are what really matters in our community. And 
there's a whole different mindset after a community has gone through something like this of what is really important. And we are so thankful and we aren't taking these things for granted. You know, things that seemed like they were problems three weeks ago. Well, guess what? That just went into a whole different perspective. And you, you really love your family more, your friends more, your neighbors more, whether you knew them or not. Now you do. And it's a whole different perspective. And I hope that we never lose that feeling that we have at this moment in time of what's really important in life and in our cities. That's so wonderful. Um, tell me about what's left on your wish list. What have you not accomplished in your career that you still want to uh, still want to get to do? We want to just keep moving Jefferson City forward. We're such a strong capital city. Uh, I mentioned the prison redevelopment. We've just touched the very tip of that iceberg of what it can be. Other penitentiaries have over 300,000 visitors a year. You know, we just started with th- over 30,000. So we realize the potential, you know, this this historic attraction that we have in our community that we want to really grow and, and continue to highlight our history into the future. Um, and even though a lot of that was damaged by the recent tornado and a lot of our historic integrity of our community, you know, we have the chance now to write that history for the next hundred years of what that's going to be. So, um, you know, really would like to see us now continue the mindset that we are strong, continue to rebuild our city, that people will not be defined by the the intense, um, you know, destruction that we had from the tornado, but rather rebuilding and, and getting engaged in looking back and saying, we are going to be better than we ever were before this. And it can be hard to see that right now, but my job, you know, is to make sure that we continue to not lose sight of that and stay focused on being better than we ever were before. Well, you mentioned three big things that Jefferson City has that no other city in America has. Is there something about Jefferson City that people need to know that they may not know? I think we feel like as the capital city that we're always the ones that try. We really, we care so deeply about our state that we try to help others in the state. And now we're seeing all that help come back to us, which has been very humbling. Um, Seeing neighbors helping neighbors, not just from Missouri, but all over the country. Uh, But I think it's also important to know that, you know, Jefferson City as the capital city, we feel that we are, we have a role in the entire state to share what we have, to share our history, to share our future. Uh, What happens in Jefferson City, it's not just about politics, and and sometimes that's what we get wrapped into, but Jefferson City is really uh, important for for all of us in the state. And, you know, it's not just a place that people come and visit when they're in the fourth and fifth grade and they all come and visit the Capitol. Um, Jefferson City is a place that, for one, is very strong, but also has a lot to offer that's very uniquely ours in the capital city. And so, we hope that people will come back and see this soon-to-be-built bicentennial bridge to the riverfront that's going to be very unique and come back and visit this historic penitentiary, which unfortunately is closed now due to the tornado damage. But we're going to reopen bigger and better uh, as a city everywhere uh, than we ever did before. So a lot on the horizon for Jefferson City. We do have a bright future. You know, been a lot of history here as the capital city. Well, we're about to see... Uh, where we're going to go into the future. And it's going to be pretty amazing. You know, I'm friends with you on Facebook and I follow you on Twitter. And as someone who has a pretty uh, busy schedule, I am often amazed at, at all the things that you're involved in and all the things you're doing. Do you ever think about not being mayor? Like, 
what your schedule would be like or, <laughs> or what your day would be like if you weren't mayor? It's important as a mayor to be very visible. And, and I love it. I feel like I was made for the job, but the city was, we just have such a great city. It's natural. But I do think that, and and I can only serve four more years. So I'm going to have to really think seriously about that question. Um, but I've been very blessed to be the mayor of just the most wonderful capital city and really have a heart for Jefferson City and making this community better. And, you know, a fun way to do that, like you mentioned, you know, following me on social media, the hashtag selfie with the mayor has really taken on a life of its own. And I love what it's become. It really started because as as the mayor of a city like this, I don't have a, a staff and a crew that comes out and takes pictures. I just would grab my camera like, well, it's just me with all of you. Let's take this selfie. And it really became a thing. And it's fun. And selfie with the mayor. They want to see where is the mayor? What's going on in Jefferson City? What cool things are happening? So it's kind of become a fun movement. And and I'm very, very fortunate. It's it's just been great. Well, it's, it works because I love it. I, I just think it's great. So um, I've got a standard list of closing questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. And so I'm just going to shoot these to you. And it's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. Number one, the best memory that comes to mind for you. Uh, with my family, I'd say just spending time growing up in Jefferson city with my grandparents, watching parades down high street and just being part of the community. Who's the number one hero in your life? Uh, my dad. <laughs> What's what was his name? Jim Turgeon. Jim. And what? And Jim had the Hallmark shop, right? Yeah, and he's still here. He still comes and works for me. He's re well, I wouldn't say retired, but he's uh, he helps me out uh, pretty much every day. And I'll tell you, every time when I go visit his house, and he lives here in Jeff City. Every time I leave and I'm going down the driveway, he says, I'm proud of you every single time, every single day, every time. I'm proud of you. And I'm telling you that I, I, I believe it because I hear it from him. <laughs> That's so awesome. What's the top value you subscribe to? Uh, respect. I think respect. If we can have respect, give it and receive it. And we don't always get it in return, but just always have respect, even if we don't get it back, because it will multiply. Who's the most important person in your life? Oh, wow. Most important person. Well, I would go back to family. I can't imagine my life without family, uh, the love and support I've had from them. So it's person, but I say family as a whole. And I will touch on a family in Jefferson City. I have some in Kansas City and my mom's entire side of the family's in Greece. So I have kind of a worldwide family uh, and and. In fact, I'm going to visit them in July, and they're a very important part of my life. So the most important part is, yeah, my family as a whole. And my extended family, my extended family, which is the city family, I kind of joke I'm everybody's favorite aunt. I don't have kids of my own, but I feel like the entire city is like literally like my family. And not making that up, but truly, it they feel like family. What's your favorite thing in the whole world? Oh, my favorite thing? <laughs> That is hard. I have a lot of favorite things. Uh, I love music. Uh, I love uh, music for me is kind of my escape. And, and it's I, I every day I, I listen to music. It's just something I, I enjoy doing. So what's your uh, best what's your best jam? My best jam. 
Uh, I love Rod Stewart. Rod's my favorite. Uh, I will also say love Big and Rich, Dirk Bentley. I could just go on and on. But yeah, right now I'm playing Gloria because the blues just won. So, you know, everyday music is, is an important part of my life. So do you like the classic Rod or do you like the American Songbook later, Rod? I love it all. I love all of Rod. I've been following Rod on tour since 1994, and I've seen him over 50 times, and I love it all. So I'm, I'm oh, wow. a serious, like, number one fan right here. <laughs> You're a big fan of the rooster. Love all right. Rod. Yes, love. All right. What's your favorite food? Favorite food? Um, pretty much anything mom cooks. She, she does a lot of great Greek food. Um, baklava, if I have to pick like one, which I know I'm making you jealous, but she makes the best baklava. I wish I could like put it through this podcast and give you a piece because it's incredible. Yeah, I am jealous. <laughs> um, what's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? visited well i think jefferson city is pretty darn beautiful so that that would be top but visited uh, i've been fortunate having family in greece that some of the most beautiful blue ocean water that i've ever seen in my life um was was in greece and so that that would just top my list yeah and i've got some greek background as well and so for my birthday last year that's why i was salivating over the baklava but <laughs> But I, last year for my birthday, we went to this restaurant in Kansas City to celebrate my birthday. And we danced and we had ouzo and we broke plates. We did the whole thing. So I am so jealous. So, yeah, we're going to have to talk. Oh, where do you have family from? The whole Greeks, you know, where are you from? Where, you know, yeah, all of that. That's, that's right. cool. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Mm, one word, success. Uh, happy. Ah, I like it. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered for how much I love this city. Okay. What would be some advice for a younger Carrie? I would say that when you're young, you know, you think you know what you're going to do in life and you know you own a business, but, you know, I didn't major in being mayor. I never thought I'd be down this path. And I think that for everyone, like you just accept what life calls out to you with open arms, even though it may not be what you thought, uh, and, and just be happy about it and just enjoy every day of life. What's your favorite sound? Music. <laughs> no, I should have guessed. And finally, what's the best lesson you've learned? I think the best lesson is to continue to have faith. Uh, I have a strong belief that the good Lord is a very important influence in my life as well. And a lot of my decisions come from a place of faith. And I think if you have strong faith, you know that you're going to come from a place that you'll do your best. And, and I always try to just do my best every day. And uh, I know that sometimes I may fall and not ever do everything right every single day, but I always know that I'm doing my best. And, and I think coming from a place of faith is something that's kept me strong uh, especially through the difficult times, but also the really good times. For those of us who choose to follow that path at the end of the day, that's really all we have, right? Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> Carrie Turgeon, she's the mayor of Jefferson City, Missouri. And uh, you have got, as we mentioned a couple of times, such a busy schedule. Thank you so much for carving out this time. I'm really appreciative of you doing this, Carrie. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I enjoy following you, and, and this has been wonderful. I've enjoyed sharing today. All right. Go, go Jefferson City, right?
JC Strong, hashtag JC Strong all the way. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Stand by. I've got more coming up next on Better Than Before. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and thank you so much for listening to our show today. In this segment, I want to talk to you about productivity secrets of billionaire executives. So when you think of the uh, Mark Benningoffs of the world, you think of the Mark Cubans of the world, you think of the Jamie Diamonds, you think of uh, who else is a successful Donald Trump, you think of Richard Branson, you think of all these billionaire CEOs and a lot of uh, CEOs that I coach and, and work with as well. What is it that they employ? What strategies and tactics do they use? Uh, because time is at a premium and output is should be at a maximum. So how do they get to everything that they need to do? And I want to share some things with you that in my research over the last 25 or 30 years, I have noticed about highly successful and highly productive people. Here's the first one, Bill. You got your notebook out? I do. You got your pencil sharp? I'm ready. All right. Number one, touch it once. So if you touch something, somebody hands you something, or if an email comes in, or if a note is passed on your desk, do something with it. Take action. Do not let somebody hand you something if you're not going to take action on it. Uh, I've had people try to hand me a flyer before, and I'd surprise them. I'd say, no, thank you. I'm not going to take action on it. You know, I don't want it to end up crumpled up in the back of my truck, so I don't touch it. So the rule is if you touch it, you're going to act on it. Don't open that email if you're not going to act on it, if you're not going to do something with it, if you're not going to file it, respond, or delete then you're better off not doing anything, right? But if you do touch it, touch it one time and do whatever it is you need to do. Uh, if a project comes across your desk, take action on it. We had productivity around email as a subject last week. Those were some pretty good tips you could employ. You know, have some folders in your email where you can file emails away because one of the big time wasters I've seen with people over the years is not being able to locate that email. The thing to remember, too, is concentration is like a muscle. So the more you're interrupted, 
the harder it is to get that muscle strong. If you don't believe me, go down to the gym and try to lift some weights while somebody's talking to you. It's really difficult to bench press and somebody starts talking to you about the time you start to lift the weight or go out on a golf course and try to make a golf swing or hit a ball when somebody's talking to you or they're jumping in with some conversation. Concentration is a muscle. And the more you're interrupted, it's hard to strengthen your muscle. So touch it one time. Number two, make as many lists as you can. If you don't keep lists, you're going to be in reactive mode a lot more often. More things are going to be disjointed, disoriented, discombobulated. Lists help you stay focused on high priorities and high productive matters. Ask yourself, how many things on your to-do list every single day? I'm going to tell you there are five or six that are really, really important, and the rest of them are just sort of little throwaway things that you can do in just a couple of minutes. So you need to make a list of your five or six most important things to do that day. Go to your list and do something. Now, I like to do the hardest thing first, but a lot of people like to do the easiest thing first. And so when you talk to them, they'll say, well, I got to get my momentum going so I need to check off something right away to make me feel like I'm on a roll before I hit the hard thing and I'm kind of the opposite if I've got something hard to do you know it's the frog eating principle if I've got a frog to eat I don't want to look at him all day I just want to get him down I don't want to swallow an oyster and then work my way to the frog I'm gonna I want the frog right away long lists this is, I've seen this before too, but people show me their to-do list and it's like a whole legal pad long. Long lists cause you to do the less productive, easier things to make yourself feel better. Long lists means you never finish your list in a timely fashion. There's always stuff to carry over. So what I typically coach my clients to do is make their long list. I call it a brain dump. Dump everything out of your brain you're thinking about doing this week. And then let's put it into days. So, I mean, what is that? Six things a day, five days a week. That's 30 things. Do you have more than 30 things on your to-do list usually? I do not. Yeah. So you take the, you chunk it in, go, okay, Monday. Here are the things I'm going to do Monday. Here's the most important and hardest one. Here's the second one, third one, fourth one, fifth one, on down the line. Now, you may have to, if they're really difficult and hard, you may have to carry them over to Tuesday but at least you know pretty much what you're going to be doing that day. And I will tell you, there is enormous psychological pleasure and both physical pleasure in checking all those things off. When you check off that last thing of the day, there's a shot of endorphins that hits your system that's just like, ooh, ah. List the six most important things you need to do and get those things completed every day. Keep a side-running list of all the things you need to get done. And when you plan each day, do your long list and use that menu list to build your six-item list. Number three, plan how much time you will allocate to each thing on your list. So if this is going to take an hour, put an hour out beside that thing. If it's going to take 15 minutes, put 15 minutes, and so on and so forth. So most of us work the typical eight-hour day. Not all of us, but some of us. So if you got six things on your list, that's about 45 minutes per thing. But at least you know on purpose your intention is very high about how long that's going to be. If you're going to have a meeting, how long is the meeting? 
What do you think most people put down for a meeting? I would say half an hour to an hour. Yeah, it's one of those two. Mm-hmm. But what's wrong with a 10-minute meeting? I say nothing. And what's wrong with the 20-minute meeting, mm-hmm. right? It's the amount of time you need to get the job done. So if you say it's going to take an hour, but it only takes 15 minutes, what are you going to do with that other 45 minutes? you got to reallocate it, right? It's better off to be honest with yourself right off the bat that if you're running the meeting, how long do you say the meeting's going to be? Because that's how long it'll be. A lot of times people put down an hour for a meeting, and the meeting will take an hour. But it should have only taken 15 minutes. Like, at the 16th minute, we're really done. But the other 44 minutes is just kind of like, well, we said we were going to meet for an hour. So do not think about when you will do each task quite yet. Just determine the amount of time you will realistically dedicate to each task. Make sure that the five or six items on your list can actually be accomplished in one day. Because I've had that too. Like I've worked all day long on one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. If one or more of the items on your list is too big to be accomplished in one day, write down how much time during that day you're going to dedicate to it. I've done that too. I've worked three hours on it one day and then moved on to something else and come back to it and worked three more hours on it the next day. I've split it. Sometimes it just takes a lot of energy. And so if you spend the entire day, you may, on the back end of the day, um, not be as productive. That's right. Number four, plan your day very purposely. This is not a general guide to how your day might unfold. It's kind of specific, right? And you need a time slot for everything. That includes all the six items on your list, as well as some time allocated to check email, open email, Uh, regular mail and answer everybody always remembers this too if they're in one of my seminars I typically get to this and I will tell them that I only look at email four or five times a day sometimes not five just four like so in the morning before I start around 10 or 10 30 around 1 or 1 30 and then around 4 or 4.30, and maybe before I go to bed, maybe not. But some people are checking their email constantly. They're constantly hitting send and receive, send and receive, send and receive, and they're wasting productivity time. So me, I shut it off. I don't even keep it running. I don't want that little thing popping up in the edge of my screen distracting me, telling me I've got email. Because there will be a one or in there say, oh, William sent me an email. I wonder what he wants. And then before you know it, I'm off of what I'm, you know, I'm off of my bench pressing and I'm on to curling. And I didn't finish bench pressing because I let the the email distract me and send me on another path. If you have two 30-minute slots of reactive time, such as checking email, then you also can build in some buffer times. So this 20 minutes here, I'm going to take this and walk around the building or I'm going to go visit Bill and talk to him while he eats his banana or what, whatever, you know. But everything should be planned and on purpose. And the people say, well, what about spontaneity? You know, what about, you know, things that just sort of happen? I'm like, well, schedule them. Mm-hmm. Just build it in. Yeah, build it in. The best compliment I ever heard David Letterman get was that his show looks completely spontaneity right? It it looks like it's all being done off the cuff and it's all very rehearsed and planned, but it looks like it's all just being thrown together and wacky things are happening that you wouldn't have thought would have happened. But 
it's all in the schedule. It's all intentional. Uh, number five, prioritize. Look at your day and see where you put the most difficult stuff. I kind of talked about that, right? Most people do not have enough energy at the end of the day to tackle the hard things. But if some people, their energy is all in the end of the day. So that's where they need to put the hard thing. Depending on where your energy level is the highest, that's where you need to put the most difficult items on your to-do list. Number one, touch it once. Number two, make lists. There's nothing real revelatory in here, is there? No. Yeah. Number three, plan how much time you will allocate to each task you have to do. Uh, number five, prioritize. Remember the 80-20 rule. Only 20% of your effort brings 80% of results. So 20% of the stuff you work on is really the important stuff, and 80% of it isn't. Many people drown in paperwork. We don't have too much of that problem, but it's all moving online. That deluge of paperwork is now electronic deluge. What would happen? So I got the question for you here at the end. What would happen if 80% of your work were focused on high result activities? You'd be a lot more productive. Yes. You'd be a lot more productive. So I'm interested if you have any high productivity tips that you can share with us that we can pass along to the audience, would you please send them to me? Info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. That's our show today. Be sure and give us a five-star rating. It'd be much appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and ClearVision DEV. Find my new Facebook fan page, Tony Richards Author Speaker Coach. I'd love to have you join our Facebook community. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm your host, Tony Richards, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.